So towards the end of December, right after Christmas this past year, I was uh, in the yard, and I think me and my son were like throwing a football or a frisbee or rocks or something, and he threw the football, and I missed it, and it went behind me about 20 feet. I remember I jogged over to get the football and then jogged back to where I was, and when I got back to the spot where I had originally been standing, my body reacted in a very interesting way. All of a sudden, I was, I was breathing very heavy, and my heart rate was up, and I remember getting it and throwing the ball and going, <laughs> okay, and then I looked back to where the ball was, and I was like, that's really sad, and so that night, <clears throat> as I was getting in bed, I pulled the scale out, and I hadn't been on the scale in a while, and I stepped on the scale, and the number on the scale was higher than it has ever been when I've been the person standing on the scale. And I looked down, and immediately I thought what we all think when this occurs, scale's broken. Right? So I step off, and I turn the scale over. I make sure there's no Lego underneath it, and, you know, I sit there, and I'm, like, pushing on the little pad things that tell it, and I check the batteries and change those out, and I'm like, all right, let's do this again. And sure enough, same number. And I was still not convinced. So at one point I said, hey, you know, Jet, come here, you stand on this. Because we just went to the doctor. I knew about how much he weighed. And I was like, oh, no, it's right. I'm at my new lifetime heavy right now. Like, I have accomplished it. I am there. And the, the, the joke I always say is, you know, I, when, I, when I first got to college, I was like the stats of a receiver. And then about five years later, I, the stats of a safety. And I'm ever closer, getting closer to linebacker. And it's just continuously... Moving. So in January, I made up my mind that, you know what, that's it. I'm going to get in shape because I do this every January. Except this time, this time I had somebody to help me. Trent, who's our youth pastor, who's all about working out, or so he says, convinced me that I needed to join a gym. And so in January, or closer to February by the time I actually gave in, I joined a gym. I started eating better. And I begin to see some results. I start to lose weight a little bit. I can run 20 feet without about passing out. And here's what I knew in my head. I knew the moment I started, I said, here's how this always goes. Because I go through these cycles over and over again. Is I'll start working out, and I grew up playing basketball a lot. I love playing basketball. I'm getting older. I'm not good at basketball anymore. But I'll always get to this point where I start to get in shape. I'll start playing basketball. Then I get hurt. Then I get bummed out that I'm not as in shape as I used to be. I quit working out. I go home, and I eat my emotions and gain all the weight back. And so this time, I mentally prepared myself. I said, okay, Matt, at some point, you're going to get hurt, and you're going to have to work through this. And sure enough, somewhere around mid-March, me and Trent are playing, and I jump up in the air, and I land on his foot, and my ankle makes an audible noise as it's cracking, and I fall over, scream like a girl. I've done this numerous times in my life, not scream like a girl, hurt my ankle numerous times in my life. And so I hit the floor, and I'm just kind of feeling it, and I'm like, I get up, and I'm like, I can put a little bit of weight on it, but not much, but I'm definitely not doing anything leg-related workout for a while. And so put some ice on it, wrap it up, and I actually make it through this injury, okay? Like, we, we change the workout, so it's a little bit more upper body, and, you know, I kind of get a like, I do the row machine with one leg, which was kind of funny looking, and everybody in the gym just thinks, I, you know, I'm, I have problems. And so... I make it through that, and I make it through to the next month, and, like, my body's all healed up, and I'm like, all right, I'm there. And then May happens, and our church schedule gets crazy for us on staff during May. From May to about mid-June, okay, to, to right after wind shape, it's all over the place. And the other thing that always seems to happen to me in May is I get a cold. And so I knew I was doing my gym membership month to month going, okay, there's probably going to be, like, a month sometime May in the summer that I'll just put things on hold, and then I'll start back. 
And so in my brain, okay, which makes no sense if I'm telling you how to get in shape, but it makes perfect sense if it's me trying to tell myself how to get in shape, I think to myself, I'll just put working out on hold, and I'll just maintain where I'm at. Well, last weekend, I stepped on the scale five months after I'm maintaining where I'm at in my physical abilities, and I'm back up to my number that I hit in December on the scale. And the other day, we're playing in the yard, and I run to go get a Frisbee, and I'm out of breath again. I have declined back to the state that I was in, and I'm sitting there in my brain going, what in the world was I thinking? Why did I ever join the gym in the first place? Because I'm now, I've just spent money and time and effort and energy, and I'm right back where I started. But see, that's the thing. When we talk about faith and working out or exercise, we talk about that a lot. But there's that myth right there that I bought into in May that I could stop and just pause right where I was at. Like, I honestly thought if I just took a few weeks off, I would have no trouble picking back up where I left off. Yeah, I might have to you know, get it back for a week, but I thought that I would just, just maintain that weight. But that's not how it works, is it? It doesn't work that way with our faith either. See, because here's the myth that we buy into a lot of times. We honestly think that if we're on our journey of faith, that there's a point at which we're not changing, we're not moving, we've just kind of slowed down and paused for a minute. You know what I mean? Think about it like this. There's this point at which we come into a church service or we step into a Bible study and we hear God clearly directing us from Scripture, from something somebody says, from the Holy Spirit within us, that we need to move in a direction. And in our minds we go, I'm going to pray about it. Um, I, I, I don't want to go forward this week. Maybe I'll go forward next week. Man, I've done this a hundred times. I can say right now to God that I'm never going to do that again, but I know as soon as I walk out of here, I'm just going to do it again. At some point in the future, I'll deal with this. And we play this game where we actually think in our walk that we can pause. But that's a lie. You are never stagnant in your faith. You are never on pause. You're never in a holding pattern. You're never just waiting until the door opens, or until this happens, or that happens. There's one of two thing hap things happening in your walk with Christ right now. You're either growing closer to him, or you're moving further away. There is no pause, because that's the reality of change. Change is a constant. In your spiritual walk, you are always changing. You are becoming more and more like God, or you are practicing ignoring him, being bitter towards him, and moving away from him. Those are the only two options. That's the only thing that's happening at any given point with you and your relationship with God. And you already understand this as a dynamic in relationships. To your friend, to your kids, to your parents, to your wife, you can't put the relationship on pause. You're either growing closer to that person or you're in a period of silence drifting away, right? I can't go home this afternoon and be like, honey, like all marriages, ours takes effort. And I'm tired, so can we just pause for a few days? That's not going to work. What has just happened? I'm walking away. 
You can't do that in a relationship. So why do we play this mental game that we can walk into this room or we can live our life spiritually in relationship with God and just kind of stop? We're either going closer to or further away. We're going to look at a story this morning that if you've been in church for a while, you've heard it before. It's about the nation of Israel during the time of the Exodus. Because change is all around us. Our world's changing. We're changing. There is no stagnant. There is no pause. And hear me when I say this, okay? I am an absolute creature of habit just like you. There's a major part of me that does not like change at all. I've worked for 14 years at this church. I've driven to this office five times a week for the last 14 years. You want to know what one of the most drastic changes I've made in my weekly pattern? I park in a different place 10 feet away. And that took a number of years for me to come to that. Do you know why? Because I didn't want to back out anymore. I wanted to pull in and pull out. That means I didn't have to use the energy to do this. I know that as human beings, we don't like change. We especially don't like difficult change. But as believers, we're called to change and become more and more like Christ. We're going to look at this passage, and we'll continue to dig in. The story of Exodus, the story of the people, the nation of Israel, actually starts generations before we're going to pick up towards the end of Genesis. There's this moment where there's this guy, Joseph, and he has this coat of many colors. You might have heard about that when VBS is a kid. And through a series of events, he ends up in Egypt in some bad situations, but God's with him in another bad situation, and God's with him. And long story short, God pulls him out. He becomes the second in command of all of Egypt right under Pharaoh. He ends up saving Egypt and all the people in the region and his family, and his family ends up moving to Egypt. And his family begins to grow. They begin to have kids. And they no longer become a family. They become a nation. It's a lot like our children's area. Okay, we're approaching zip code destination because people keep having kids, you people. And it keeps growing. They keep ending up growing, and they become so large that it makes the Egyptians nervous. And the Egyptians go, we need to put them to hard labor. So they appoint taskmasters over them. And a pharaoh comes along who never knew Joseph. And before long, you have this entire nation that spends 400 years at the mercy of the Egyptians. And they're in misery. Day and night. They wake up in the morning. They go to work. The sun goes down. They come home. They go to bed. Every day, no breaks, no holidays, no sick days, no vacations. That's what they do. And that's their life for generations. They're in generational misery. And in chapter 2, towards the end, in verse 23, we hear their outcry. It says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry of rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groans, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew Just real quick time out. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're sitting here going like, man, when you said generational struggle as a family, that's it. So maybe on the side this morning, you can take comfort because as they cried out to God, God knew. God knew what was going on. And in this story right here, God rescues them. And a lot of us know the story. 
a man named Moses, somehow avoids dying as a child when the Pharaoh decrees that every male Hebrew child shall be kind of cast into the river Nile and thrown into the elements. He somehow survives, and when he grows up, he thinks, I'm going to rescue my people. And so he tries it his way, and he ends up killing somebody, and it doesn't work out, and the Hebrews aren't listening to him. And so he flees and goes to a land far away. And years and years later, God finally calls out back to him and says, yep, you're going to rescue them because I'm sending you to do it. And he comes back, and he tells Pharaoh, let my people go, but Pharaoh doesn't. And you get this Old Testament version of Acts where all these miraculous things are happening. These crazy, out-of-this-world things are happening as God is executing judgment on the Egyptians and convincing Pharaoh to let his people go. And we have these ten plagues. And so finally, after these ten plagues, this last one happens, and Pharaoh finally says, fine, go. And the people are leaving Egypt. The nation of Israel is leaving Egypt, and the Egyptians are so happy that they're going because of how much the Egyptians are suffering that they're giving them stuff. They're giving them their gold, their food, their belongings, and the people of Israel leave their wealthy. And the crescendo of this story, this interaction with Egypt, ends up by a place called the Red Sea because they get there, and they get to the edge of the sea, and there's this huge body of water. And they look back, and all of a sudden, here comes Pharaoh with his army because he's going to wipe them out. And the people begin to panic, but God rescues the people. He separates the waters. They go through on dry land. They go into the sea on the Egyptian side, leaving their old life, and come out new on the other side, free from the Egyptians, because behind them, as the Egyptians come in, the sea closes around them, crushes them, kills them. And there they are, sitting on the edge of the sea, Pharaoh and his army destroyed, and life is new all over again. God rescues them. And there's this moment in Exodus 15 where it actually records this song that they sang as they leave there singing praises to God and how he rescued them. Now, logically, if you look at the rhythm of how this story goes, you think, okay, it ends there. But that's not it. You see, because the story is not just about them leaving Egypt. It's about them moving towards God. Because they're legitimately on a journey to God at this point. If you look in Exodus 15, excuse me, Exodus 5, while Moses is talking to Pharaoh during one of the times that he's, he's at the beginning where he's telling him that you need to let my people go and Pharaoh's saying no, He tells him exactly why these people need to go, what they're going to, and where they're doing. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. You see, there's two words there, feast and sacrifice. And in the Old Testament, that's worship. And the place to where they're going, at one point in here, is referred to as the mountain of God. It was the place where they saw saw that God's spirit dwelled. So literally, they're leaving Egypt, being rescued from their bondage. And their path that they're physically going on 
is to get closer to God, to worship Him in His presence with a whole assembly of believers and to receive a covenant from Him that they're going to be His nation of holy priests. That's what Exodus 19 tells us. You see, that's where they're physically going. But that's not where their heart's going. You see, that's what the interesting dynamic is. Their entire life situation has changed. Their entire life situation is is they're moving. They're leaving bondage and slavery in Egypt, and they're going to a place where they can worship and engage in this relationship with God and then carry on to this land that he has prepared for them and given to them, to their own nation. But their heart's not there. Their heart's not there. Because in Exodus 16, We get this glimpse internally to something that's kind of shifted within these people, these people that at one time cried out to God for hope and for rescue. Verse 16, excuse me, chapter 16, verse 1. They set out from Elam. All the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now let's dissect a couple things here. Because you remember that first passage we read in Exodus 2? That passage is a descriptor of what their religious activity was like. I mean, they worked all day, every day. So the extent of their relating to God, their crying out to Him, their seeking Him, was a plea of hope. That was the number one thing on their mind. That's how they related to God. They looked to God as their hope and their salvation. They would be rescued from the situation they're in. And then this rescue comes, and they're moving towards this mountain of God, and they're physically going this way. And they encounter another problem. Okay, all the food and everything they brought out of Egypt, it's starting to run out. They're starting to get a little bit more hungry than they have food for. And what do they do? Are they hoping in God? Are they crying out to God for help? No, we get a different word here. We don't get a cry out. We don't get that words rose up to God. We get grumble. They grumble against Moses. But they're not grumbling against Moses. Because God gives them bread in the morning and meat in the evening, and you can read back over this when you get home this afternoon if you want to know more details about that. But in verse 8, as Moses says, verse 8, Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So these people... Physically, they're moving toward the mountain of God, the presence of God, getting closer to God. But their hearts are the other way. Their hearts are looking to Egypt where they had meat and pots and bread. It's a weird dichotomy. It's a weird thing that's happening. They're able to move closer physically and do the physical act, but their hearts are going the opposite way. 
because this, this kind of climax is here in a minute. Because in chapter 32, they're at the mountain of God. They've come up to the mountain. God's spoken to the whole assembly, His covenant to them. And they go, whoa, whoa. That's, we, can't, we can't handle the voice of God. Moses, you, you go speak to Him for us. And so Moses goes up the mountain, and he's receiving the Word of God as the people are in the presence of the mountain of God, right there at the base of it, waiting on Him to come back down. And they're there for a while. But their hearts are going the other way. See, they're not just sitting there spiritually waiting. If you know this story, they're spiritually walking away. Because as we read in Exodus 32, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. This man who brought you up out of Egypt? Hold on a second. Like all throughout Exodus, when you go back and read through up to this point, over and over again, you see all these great works are done so that people will know that this is the one true God who rescued these people from Egypt. And now all of a sudden, they're talking about a man who rescued them. And well, since he's gone, we just need to find some other gods. And it gets worse. In verse 2, So Aaron said to them, Take off your rings of gold that are on your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation that said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they arose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So let's just get this straight. Let's paint this whole picture here. 400 years, you're in agony. You cry out to God for rescue. He rescues you. You see all this miraculous stuff. I mean, as they're traveling, there's a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and there's bread and quail coming down from the sky to feed you every day. And you get to the mountain of God with the people of God and the presence of God, waiting on some guy to bring you the word of God. I mean, you want to put that in modern day context? You're sitting in a church service because you go every week or every other week because that's what Christians are supposed to do, and you're in the service, and the Spirit of God's moving, and you're hearing the songs, and you're hearing the Word of God brought to you, and you're sitting there, but your heart's somewhere else. Your mind's already in this afternoon, thinking through what earthly comfort you're going to find. You're either moving closer to God spiritually or further away. These people physically are very close to God. They know how to act. They know how to play the game. But these people spiritually are going the other way. And man, from here it doesn't get pretty. Moses is up on the mountain, and God tells him what's going on back at the camp. He comes back down the mountain, he sees what's happening, he sees them worshiping this other God and partying and doing all this ridiculous stuff, and so he takes the tablets, the Ten Commandments, and he smashes them against the golden calf and destroys it. 
And then he tells the priest, he says, go put your sword on, go stand at that side of the camp. He says, I want you to run back and forth, and I want you to cut to shreds anybody that gets in your way. Thousands of people from that generation die that day. And the rest of them, the rest of them don't make it to the promised land. Because you see, this was the path that these people were on. He brought them out of Egypt to come to the mountain to worship God. So he could tell them, hey, this is how you have a relationship with me. This is how you worship me. This is how you interact with me. And then I'm going to take you to your land, our land, where I will dwell with you. And I will be your God and you will be my people. See, that's what was supposed to happen. But these people, physically in the presence of God, spiritually have gone the other way. They're not sitting at the bottom of the mountain waiting. They're disengaging. They're checking out. And after these priests go through and they do this, God and Moses have some more conversation about what's going to happen. And basically, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years until this generation dies out. And the next generation comes along and gets to go into the promised land. So we get back to our question for this morning. Spiritually, you're going one way or the other. And you might be really good at the game, okay? You might be really good at being able to walk in here and play the game. But there's this thing that we do, okay? Let me just step out of, out, of, out of the pastor mode and into like sinful, broken human in need of a savior mode, okay? I know coming in here, hearing somebody up here speak and telling you the things you already know you need to do and feeling the Holy Spirit prod against you, I know what that's like. I also know what it's like to try to desensitize yourself to it. To play that mental game where you just go blank, where you just don't think about it, where you make up an excuse, where you think about something else, where you train yourself to disengage from God in the presence of God. And here's the lie that we tell ourselves. Not yet. Because we honestly think that this this provoking, this poking, this moving of the Holy Spirit within us that's directing us to do something, we honestly think it's something that's just going to be there and like, I'm just going to stay right here. And then maybe at some point in the future when I'm ready, when I understand enough, when I'm strong enough, then I'll make that move. All right, maybe for you it's a little bit different. I've made that move before. And I got hurt. And it didn't work out. And the plan of God shifted. I, I don't know if I'm ready to do that again. And so we sit there and we stay. And we think, we honestly think that we're just spiritually maintaining. But when you're not engaging in a relationship, you're walking away from it. Because this morning, in in about seven minutes, this is going to end the same way that all the other services end. Okay, we're going to sing this song, and then Trent's going to come up here, and there's going to be some people down front down here, and you're going to enter that game. Okay, look, I don't know what God is saying to you this morning. I know it's pretty likely that you came into this room, and you already know what you need to do. If you're sitting there right now and you've got that feeling like, hey, he's, he's talking to me, I'm not that smart. 
Okay, at no point do you sit there and you kind of won't go through a sermon and go, hey, I bet somebody in the room is dealing with this. I should say this. Like, that's not how it works. I don't know where you're at. But here's what I do know. I know that God wants us to continue to change and continue to become more like him. And if we're not making those moves, we're moving backwards. You can't be stagnant in your faith. It doesn't exist. You can't just put a relationship, and I mean your relationship with God, on hold while you get comfortable. I've heard a pastor say it this way. When's the last time you did something uncomfortable for God? Like if your entire spiritual walk over the last few months, weeks, years, whatever it is, like if you're sitting there right now and you're trying to think of, okay, when was the last time I, I I stepped in my faith and I went with an action and it wasn't what I already wanted to do? Because you got to understand, the Christian walk is an abrasive, continuous change. It's a continuous challenge to the sinful, broken person that we are to become more and more like Christ. That's why when we come to Christ, we repent and we continue to repent. Repentance is not a single decision that you make at this point. It's continual action you make over and over again. More than likely there's somebody in this room that's dealt with the same sin for the last few years, and you feel like you can't find your way out of it. You've got an addiction. You've got a problem. And here's the reality of it. If you really want to tackle that, you need to go talk to somebody about it. But you already know that. You already know that. I'm not telling you anything new. You know that if you're going to make it past this difficult time in your life where you're being really attacked and in this trial and you're giving into this sin and you made this habit of giving into this sin over and over again, you know that if you're going to get past that, your number one step is i got to have somebody who's talking to me about it. But that's not easy, is it? That's not comfortable. But every day you go by and you're not going to somebody saying, man, I need some help. You're not staying still. You're moving backwards. You're becoming more and more and more entrenched in that sin. You're training your brain more and more and more to not listen to God and not listen to his spirit and to do what you want to do. And painfully, here's the reality. That path leads to destruction. You might be sitting here this morning, you go, Matt, you don't understand, like, I've, I've been in church for a while. I've done the serve thing, the groups thing, the Sunday school thing, I've been a teacher, okay, like, I taught, I taught spiritual juggling one time at VBS, it was amazing, like, like, you don't understand, I've done all this. Are you moving closer to God, or are you moving further away from Him? This way is what you're going to feel like is a risk and difficulty and trial. This way, you don't think it is, but it is. It's more pain. It's more difficulty. This way, you're running to a Savior who's going to change you more and more to be like Him and to understand Him and to know Him. This way is isolation, bitterness, heartache, and pain. Neither one of these are an easy path, but this one is an absolute amazing reward of knowing God.
And so that's it for you this morning. Just like every service, we're going to close. We're going to have some songs. And you can sit there and you can disengage. You can numb your mind out. Or you can get crazy. And you can go, you know what? I'm tired of running from God and I need to run to God because those are the only two things that are happening. You're either growing closer to Him or you're getting farther away from Him. See, there's another person in this book, in this story we didn't talk about. A guy by the name of Joshua. And he's with this generation of Israelites that keep looking back to Egypt and keep moving away from God. He's not moving that way. He's moving towards God. Because everything we learn about him up until we reach the book title that is his name, Joshua, we know that every time Moses was in the presence of God, Joshua is right there. When Moses is up on the mountain in the Ten Commandments, Joshua's about halfway up waiting on him. He's not down there worshiping another God, wishing he was back in Egypt. When Moses goes into the tent of meeting to talk with God face to face, it tells us that Moses would leave, but Joshua would stay. Because Joshua over and over again made the decision that he's going to pursue God. He's going to move in this direction. He doesn't move with the rest of the congregation of Israel. And as you read through this, you learn that Joshua is the one that leads the next generation into the promised land to take this land that God has given to them, flowing with milk and honey, where they will be his God and he, excuse me, he will be their God and they will be his people. Where the presence of God will dwell at this time in history. So for you this morning, are you moving closer to God or are you moving further away? Because you're changing either way. You're not stagnant. You're not still. It's a lie the enemy wants you to believe, that you don't have to think about it, that you just need to wait. You don't have to do anything. The reality is you're moving backwards. So this morning, that's going to be the question. The band's going to come back up here. They're going to lead us in this song. And during this first song, okay, there's not going to be anybody down front. And I want you right there at your seat. Don't blank your mind out. Have an honest conversation with God about what he's already been telling you or what he needs to tell you this morning, a way that you need to move to take a step closer to him. And then when that song's over, Trent's going to come back up, and we're going to have a last song, and then there's going to be some people up front. And if during that time God's telling you, go talk to somebody, they're down here for you. If during that time you're sitting there going like, i got to do something, I don't know what, these people are going to be down front waiting to talk to you. You're going to move this morning. I'm not asking you to make a move. You're going to move. It's either going to be closer to God or further away. Let's pray this morning.